And we welcome you into another episode of the best podcast available, home edition. No home videos, nothing like that. Just us on some cameras, on our laptops. But by the way, we have microphones this week. Ooh, fancy. (laughs) We're living the high life in our respective domiciles. And we are bringing you the best podcast available the last couple days of March, getting ready to head into April and draft month officially upon us, guys. Andrew Gribble, Nathan Zagura join me. And starting this week and every week leading up to the draft, we'll give you our top five at each position. I've challenged the guys. I've challenged myself, frankly. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes over the next four weeks, but top five at each position this week, defensive tackle and running back. Guys, uh, the news since we last spoke last week involves FaceTime, and you should probably buy stock in FaceTime if you somehow can, because frankly, <laughs> it's just a service from Apple. Game. That, that's all the NFL is doing. I'm not Apple guy. I'm Android guy. Green, the green over here. He doesn't even know what FaceTime No, FaceTime, absolutely not. I'm buying stock in text messages tomorrow. <laughs> stop it gribble stop it uh, it's already two minutes in we're already done oh, good night everybody thanks no you're not going to there no. it's great a banana uh, you, got a, you got a painting of a cow over your shoulder which i haven't noticed before uh i'm not gonna lie there might have been a set change apparently so yeah, we're having a little fun this is what happens so it's all good we're we have to change things up we can't have the same thing. We're we're. I want to get stale. We're in a house for the next thirty days at least. I believe. Aren't we supposed to be inside till April thirtieth now? At least. Give it. I think that's that's probably what Apple was thinking about twelve years ago when they introduced FaceTime. Like we don't want to be stale. We got to keep innovating. Funny, 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 funny. <laughs> I use my Android. It works just fine. Thanks. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, top thirty. Interviews, normally done in person, teams flying guys in for all-day sessions and meetings and whiteboards, and there's a lot to be gathered from those. Unfortunately, no one's traveling. Buildings aren't open. They have gone to FaceTime. Now, the rules of engagement involving FaceTime, interviews can't last more than an hour. You can't talk to a prospect more than three times a week. You can't interfere with their schoolwork. Anyways, those are the rules of engagement on FaceTime and Gribble. I know last week you had said it. You have no sympathy for anybody. We're all in the same situation. We're all working from home. This is what we've become. FaceTime for an hour, a couple times a week, visiting your favorite prospect. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, we can speak to it from our own experience. I mean, sometimes we've had to tape about four or five of these before we get the signal right. Now, I'm I'm curious, like, how – what happens during this time frame if you know your internet's bad and like does that count toward your total like this is almost these rules it's it's just so interesting because it's almost like they're back to to the recruiting process out of high school where these guys are limited to all the contact they can have with teams and the meetings and and clearly at the end of the day these meetings are a fraction of what they used to be under the old system like one hour on facetime does not equal eight hours in a, in a facility it's not even close so I mean, that it goes back to what we talked about last week. These are only now, a, these are these were a small part of the process to begin with. Now it's going to be an even smaller part of the process. And I think it's going to 
force teams to be really creative and almost treat these interviews like they would at the combine when you're, when they're limited to, to just such a small amount of time. They have to get the questions answered that they need answered instead of just getting an overall feel for the person. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's going to be, you're going to have to rely on your scouting department who went out and spoke, you know, your area scouts who went out and talked with his teammates and talked with the coaches. I'll tell you, I'm very happy that this isn't a year that the Browns are, are having to make a decision on a quarterback. Cause I think that's the position that you probably want to spend as much time with as possible. Get them on the whiteboard, watch the film, introduce them to your offense, see what their retention is. I mean, I know that was part of it in the past for the Browns. They'd give them some, some plays off the playbook and then have them you know, come back and see what their retention was of those plays and the checks, et cetera. So you're not going to be able to do that kind of stuff. You're going to have to focus in on what you want. I think it is a little bit of a hindrance to teams that you know, are looking for a quarterback because it, you can't possibly be as thorough as you'd want with your hands on them. I think it's also this year a big advantage for the teams uh, that were down at the Senior Bowl. I think you could be down Senior Bowl. You're going to have more information about those guys than anybody else because you actually got to talk with them, be in practice meetings with them, et cetera. I'm pretty sure it was at Detroit and Cincinnati. Are those the right, are those the right two teams? As somebody wrote on Twitter, that's how the Detroit and Cincinnati dynasties are going to begin because of their uh, Senior Bowl time with these prospects. But I've also seen it go the other way. I, I know that there was a time a player came into our building Building, uh, who was raised down in the South and, and was raised by his mother and, and was very, very polite and, and was deemed too genteel and docile. And, and unfortunately, the Browns ended up passing on this player who's gone on to be incredibly successful in the NFL. So sometimes maybe too much information can be bad. In other cases, you need more information. So the one thing that Grib said all along that I agree with, and that is that these players are I mean, these teams are all in the same boat. Everybody's playing by the same set of rules, whether they like it or not. And so the teams that can find a way to create an advantage within these rules are the teams that are going to have the most success under these parameters. And I think when you think about the Browns and having Paul D. Podesta here as a chief strategy officer and the things that he's been through in terms of drafts and multiple sports now, I think that we have somebody who's going to have an idea of of a way to come up with a good strategy along with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski to make the most out of what we are able to work with. You know, Tom Pelissero uh, back and forth with a couple former NFL execs last week. And I, I took this from, from his tweet uh, and he went through and was doing a couple different things about the challenges that guys are facing. He says the challenge created by elimination of most pro days, workouts, et cetera, as team execs explained, 30 to 40% of players on a team's draft board won't have verified measurements. 15 to 20% won't have a medical grade. I don't know about the verified measurements thing. I don't know if that's a big deal. The medical grade, I think, is probably the much bigger one, Gribbs. Yeah, and it goes back to the the whole discussion with Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, there's some he he's the big one where that the draft is going to start where he gets selected. But you know, it could go down to to anything that some a lot of these injuries that haven't even been reported, stuff that you followed up at the the combine that that thought might need a cleanup or might need to you might need to see it a couple months later. You're not going to get that. So you're you're basing a lot of this off projections and and just honestly a lot of hope. I mean, you're just going to hope these things get better or it's just going to be a quick way to eliminate the person. You might just be like, well, no medical, we can't do it. I mean, because especially with a higher pick in the draft, you don't want to draft a player with a medical question mark that you can't check and use a first-round pick on them. I mean, that's just, that's just going to be a very difficult thing to, 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 get, to get your head around. So when it comes to the Browns, I don't think there's been many 
of the guys linked to the Browns with reported injuries. I could be wrong. There could be issues that we don't know about, but at least for the Browns, it doesn't seem like they're in the mix for any of these guys, at least in the first round uh, where there might be a question mark or two. Yeah, and every year in the draft, we see guys who go in that are supposed to be first or second rounders, and all of a sudden they're there on the fourth round, fifth round, and then it comes out, oh, well, the team's identified this, that in their personal checks with, with the players. And so you wonder if some of those guys are going to slip through the cracks. Will the teams not have identified some of these issues, and they'll be drafted where they, they probably would have been otherwise, or are guys who are questionable and you just don't know, do you say, hey, I just can't take that risk. And I think that'll be very, a very interesting calculus because if you take a step back for a second, you say to yourself, okay, the success rate of a fourth-round pick or a fifth-round pick is, is pretty low to begin with. So if I think this guy's 100% a good player, but I don't know about his medical, am I willing to take a 50-50 chance that he is going to be okay? And I think that's going to be stunning. I think for Tua, it's huge. I mean, if Tua was able to be 100% healthy, I don't think there's – that the Bengals would be off of Burrow, but I think it would be much more of a discussion about Burrow versus Tua for the top quarterback in this draft than it is right now. And you have to wonder if a team at the end of the day says the Miami Dolphins say, you know what, we really like Justin Herbert. We're going to take him because we have a better, we know he's fine when we just don't know about Tua. So that is going to be fascinating to see how this all plays out. And, and I do feel very badly, honestly, for the kids that maybe have something that's a little questionable, that that's going to cost them a lot of status on draft day. Yeah, there's a big difference between going in the third round and the sixth round. I mean, that's where Huge. it gets. Yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, when you're a sixth rounder, you're fighting for your roster spot the moment you get to camp. So those those are the players that probably could have the biggest effect on. I still lean towards someone's going to take a chance on Tua, whether it's with the fifth pick, sixth pick, something like that. There, it's just too much talent and too much of an opportunity to, to get a number one caliber quarterback. All right, so as I mentioned, every Tuesday we will come out with two position groups. A couple of weeks we'll actually have three position groups. We'll lump it all in so that way we can get everybody done and everybody in prior to the NFL draft starting on April 23rd. Uh, running backs, defensive tackles, guys. That was my challenge to you to come up with your top five, and we'll go from number five to number one. On the running back side, let's start there. Mr. Gribble, your fifth best running back here in the 2020 NFL draft. I went with Cam Akers, who was just a, a bell cow running back for Florida State. And I just, I like, I like the history that goes along with that program when it comes to running backs. You got Warwick Dunn, Dalvin Cook. I know that's the, the opposite of the analysis you should be providing uh, for players and then their pedigree. But I just think he's one of those guys that it could be a plug and play kind of guy with, you know, 1,144 yards, 14 touchdowns last year, not on the best Florida state team. He also had 30 receptions though. And that impresses me at the collegiate level. Cause it's pretty hard in a lot of these offenses to get that many receptions as a running back. Cause they, they just don't throw the ball to running backs in college like they do in, in the NFL. Zagura, who did you have at number five? I went with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. 5'7". That concerns me a little bit. 5'7", 207. No question the guy can run the football. Uh, ran for over 1,400 yards, 16 touchdowns a year ago. Uh, piggybacking off of what Bucky Brooks said about him is that, you know, maybe there are questions about his top end speed. But a guy who can run it, he's well-rounded. He caught 55 balls a year ago as well for LSU. So could be a three-down back and I think a very, very quality player. And I think this running back class, these top five, all the names we're going to say here, 
are all really, really good. And it's another reason why you don't see running backs getting paid a lot because you, you use them, you chew them up. And then every year there seems to be a talented crop coming into the draft. And I think this year is no exception and teams that are picking running backs in the second round. Cause it doesn't seem like there's a, a Zeke or a Saquon Barkley or a Nick Chubb in this class, but you're going to get a lot of good value. I think in the second and third rounds. And you think about some of the better running backs in the league recently, Dalvin cook, for example, is a second round pick. There are plenty of guys in that second, third round range, uh, Clint Portis, LaShawn McCoy going back a few years, but where they turn into be very, very talented players. You know, I thought about going acres at number five. I just think that he's got to land with the right team and the right coach. So I put, I went with Zach Moss from Utah. Uh, who a lot of people have number six or number seven in their rankings, depending on who you talk to. But I, I like Moss. I think Moss is a good player. He's well-rounded, catch the ball, has decent speed, uh, and really is that bell cow kind of back that I think NFL teams will, will crave. At number four, Gribbs, who did you have? I went with Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin, and in a lot of rankings, including CBS Sports, he is the number one guy. He's really good. I mean, he ran for 2,000 yards. Uh, that's not, not too bad last year, but 21 touchdowns. The reason why I have him lower, though, than some of these other running backs is I'm looking at pitch count, and that and his amount of carries over the last three years, it worries me. I mean, he had 320 carries last year, 307 carries in 2018, and 299 in 2017. He's really good. He might be the best running back in this draft. I worry about that usage rate. Yeah, Groove's talking about a guy who it's 926 carries in three years, but 6,174 really touchdowns. Never below 1,900. He's really good. He'll come up third on my list. I had Cam Akers fourth on mine. He can do it all. Again, another solid running back. And I think it's just – it's a very good class – for running backs and teams that are looking for them. Again, the Browns are not in the market for running back at all are going to find, I think, some pretty talented players out there. And Akers is another one of those guys. He can run it. He can catch it. Uh, an all-around solid performer. Yeah, I had, uh, I had a layer from LSU uh, as my fourth running back. Uh, Taylor is in my – Taylor was right just ahead of him, and I thought it was almost a coin toss. You're right, Gribbs. The, the whole – how many carries that you've gotten. It's almost the Alabama running running syndrome for those backs coming out and, and how that has scared off a number of NFL teams. The amount of work that some of these guys have had in college definitely has to be a red flag. All right, number three, Gribbs, what do you got? I went with DeAndre Swift. And if his NFL comparison by Lance Erline comes true, You've got your running back for the next 25 years because he has been compared to Frank Gore uh, on NFL.com. He's, he's coming out of the Georgia pedigree. He's a very good running back. I think he's more, probably more Sony Michelle than he is Nick Chubb, but I think he's, uh, I think he'll produce more at the NFL level than Michelle has so far. I went three. I went Jonathan Taylor. I mean, three straight years over 1,900 yards. There's no question he can run it. Had a great combine uh, in terms of showing off his athleticism and his ability to catch the football because his first two years at Wisconsin, they didn't ask him to catch it at all. Under 10 catches. The last year, I think he had 25 receptions. So this is a guy that's being able to show off his athleticism at the combine because when you put the tape on, natural runner, great vision, great power, true bell cow running back you make a point though I remember I, I want to say the guy's name was Kevin Smith uh, who came played for the Lions for a year or two and had one really good year in the NFL but had come out of college and he had the most carries in, in all of college for I think three straight years prior to that probably a lot like Taylor Taylor obviously a much higher pedigree than him but 
you know, you do wonder about that because there's only so much tread on the tires, but I think you're going to get a guy in here. And I would love to pair him with somebody that is a true kind of pass catching scat back. For example, had the, the bears not made an investment in David Montgomery a year ago, I think he would be great in Chicago. And then you pair him with Tariq Cohen and you kind of have that all the skill sets combined into one guy. Uh, and I think Jonathan Taylor is going to be an excellent pro. All right. Gribbs up next at number two. Who do you got? I, I, I've got this guy higher than both of you guys. And that's Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I mean, I, I was sold after the Alabama game. I mean, he, he was overshadowed by Joe Burrow, but he was a monster. In that, in that biggest moment of the season, he had 103 yards rushing, three touchdowns, nine catches, 77 yards, one touchdown. And the stats don't do it justice. He broke like a million tackles in that game. He is a beast. I don't care what his measurements are. It probably reminds me a little bit of size-wise of Austin Eckler and who, who just got a big extension with the Chargers. This guy's a gamer. And I, I remember watching that game and I said, get this guy on my team. Uh, and, and I would be uh, very in favor of that kind of player, or wherever he goes, I think he'll have a lot of success. Zagura? Number two for me was DeAndre Swift. Now, Bucky Brooks would say this is the headliner in the running back class, explosive three down back, home run hitting potential, as Gribbs talked about, probably, and rightly so, more Sony Michelle coming out than Nick Chubb, but a lot of people really wanted Sony Michelle and liked him uh, coming out of that draft class. And, and I think this kid is, is another tremendous talent. Not number one on my list. I'm going to go with a little local flavor for number one, but tremendously talented from a school that, frankly, all it does is produce stud running backs. Yeah, it is. I know most of the positions will favor, you know, the big schools, but this is a unanimous position that if you came from a power five conference, you're on this list from a running back standpoint, Gribbs. Uh, and I, and I think a lot of it, you went back, going back to what you talked about with the, um, with Hilaire. I mean, big games, big moments, these running backs have shined. Yeah. I think it just comes down to it. These are the guys I trust. I, I think it's just weird. You're making a lot of athletic projections with a lot of these other positions. I, with running back, just get, give me someone that's produced and I know can, I can rely on for four years because that's really what most running backs end up being uh, outside of the Adrian Petersons of the world, potentially the Nick Chubbs of the world. We'll, we'll see uh, in, a, in a couple of years, but you know, th these guys are, you, you want them hitting their, you already want them to have hit their prime by the time they're stepping into your lineup. All right, who do you got at number one, Gribbs? I'm going with the homer pick with J.K. Dobbins, and this is despite the Lance Zerline comparison to Dominic Williams, who I had to Google uh, when I, I looked that up. But that was the former LSU running back from the early 2000s who only played for a couple of years in the NFL. I, I just saw enough of Dobbins to believe. I think he's just going to be plug and play. If I'm doing one of those early fantasy drafts, give me, get me him number one. Uh, I think he's just someone that's going to be a bell cow that is a gamer. He's played against elite competition. I, I just trust him the most. Zagura? Yeah, I went with Dobbins as well. Uh, he's the one guy that I've probably seen the most of, to be perfectly honest. And every time I see him, I'm impressed. I think, you know, the fact – one of the reasons they lost – uh, to Clemson is because he went out of that game. And I think J.K. Dobbins is an absolute stud, another 2,000-yard season. Uh, and I think he's, he's a guy that's going to be, uh, you know, a good for 1,200 yards rushing, 400, 600 receiving, and, and just be a consummate pro, an electric playmaker. And I think we took it for granted because Ohio State's so talented at so many other places. But J.K. Dobbins, I thought, was sensational this year. Yeah, 
I don't every time people would compare, well, who's the better running back in the Big Ten, Taylor or Dobbins? You know, which one is which? I just look and I go, J.K. Dobbins, every time Ohio State needed him, stepped up and performed there. and over-delivered. And I didn't see – taking nothing away from Taylor and his performance in his college career. It's one of the best college careers maybe in the history of college football. But J.K. Dobbins and what he did when he was called upon in the biggest of big games, it can't be overlooked. And, and I'm sorry, he's the best running back coming out in college football. I, people can say DeAndre Swift's going to be the first back off the board. The team that does that is making a mistake. They should be taking J.K. Dobbins. Wow, Gibby. There's your hot take. I love it. Listen, the guy is an incredibly talented player. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I just trust it. Zeke, Zeke gave me the permanent trust on Ohio State running backs. All right, that's a look at our top five running backs. Time now to move on to defensive tackles. Position that the Browns might address later in the draft, but I think we can all agree uh, Zagura probably not going to be on the first two days of this draft. Now, now that you've brought Andrew Billings into the mix, you know, you're probably not going to go for a defensive tackle early, maybe one later in the draft, but you probably feel pretty good about your defensive tackle room now with Sheldon Richardson, Larry Ogan, Joby, Andrew Billings, and then you've got some guys who were around last year, uh, some who played and can certainly help this team developmental guys and see if somebody emerges there. But I think you feel a lot better about your defensive tackle room than you do probably your defensive end room, I would say, overall at this point. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But, yeah, I don't expect the Browns to be active at this position early in this draft. All right, Gribbs, what do you got at number five? Number five. Five. All right, Gibbs, you forced me to do a lot of homework for this uh, podcast. Yeah. And it was I, on I, short notice. I have a schedule for the rest of it. I'm not exactly uh, breaking down D-tackle film in my, no. in my off time here. So my number five choice was Navelle Gallimore out of Oklahoma. He's a Canadian, uh, a former Canadian, top Canadian recruit in 2015. And I, I like him because I think he's had to make some adjustments to the American game and has taken some time to develop, but I think he's one of those where he's just starting to scratch the surface. He's already been a good, solid player for Oklahoma. I think he is a good option as the number five D-tag. That's pretty detailed, Gribbs. Good job by you. Yeah. <laughs> that might be better than anybody else is going to do on this. Zagura, not shortchanging you, but I am. No, I appreciate it. I went with uh, Raekwon Davis from uh, Alabama as my number five defensive tackle. Charlie Casserly in his mock actually had Davis going to the 49ers pick number 31 in the draft as a replacement for DeForest Buckner. And now I went in and he's 6'6", 311 pounds. that had a monster season in 2017, but kind of tailed off a little bit over the last two years. I think after 2017, people would have been talking about him like they are with Brown and Kinlaw in this class, but still a big guy. He can get to the quarterback and be disruptive at the point of attack. And guess what? Lance Zerline's player comp for him, DeForest Buckner. So wouldn't it be interesting if Pretty the good. Niners were able to make that trade, grab a receiver at 13, and then snag, snag Raquan Davis late in the first round to replace, literally, DeForest Buckner with a DeForest Buckner comp. Not too shabby is what I would say. Uh, Justin Matabuke. Yeah, give it. We'll see if that's right or not. I sounded confident in it. Uh, Texas A&M defensive tackle, uh, a kid that's played in a lot of big games, uh, multi-talented. Uh, talented, he's fast, he can get to the quarterback, Good, very good tackler uh, per 
uh, Todd McShay. No, Mel Kuyper. Sorry. I got my things all messed up. Mel Kuyper has him as a good tackler. Outstanding tackler. So that's where we're at. Number five, Justin Matabuke from Texas A&M. Zagura, we'll, we'll flip it up. Who do you got at number four, Zagura? I had who Gribbs had at number five, Neville Gallimore out of Oklahoma, a Canadian, as he noted, who really flashes. And I think that's what scouts are going to be intrigued by with him. He has a lot of real good flashes on tape, not a lot of consistency. So never made it to the point where he was considered one of the most dominant guys in a, in a conference where they don't play a ton of defense, but has unbelievable athleticism, and he's a – He's a motor guy. Yeah, his motor never turns off. But flashes that he needs to make more consistent at the next level. And if he does that, has an opportunity, I think, to be a pretty solid player and disruptor uh, interior from the interior defensive line. Gribble, who did you have at number four? I've got defensive tackle Ross Blacklock out of TCU. Uh, he's projected as a late first rounder in a lot of these mock drafts. And the interesting about him, there's two things. One, he had an Achilles injury uh, that really – kept him off the field for a year he dropped a lot of weight doing that and it apparently helped his game and he had a big season last year with 40 tackles nine for loss three and a half sacks so he's very good also his father jimmy toured at the Harvard <laughs> globe trotters yes. yes yeah that's some good that's some good genes right there yes maybe a member of the washington generals if the nfl doesn't play out um that's a guy that i've seen everywhere from between 10 and 10 to 15 all the way to 25 to 32 and even falling into the early second round I mean he's kind of he's been all over the place everybody seems to like him they just don't know where the fit is I feel like yeah yeah he's a guy though it does seem like he's going to go in the first round I think you look it's rare that you see a mock where he doesn't get taken in the 20s by somebody and and a talented player and we'll just roll right into it he's the number three on my list uh is Ross and and I think you know, he's, he's athletic. They say, you know, he's 291 pounds. So he's not one of the huge guys, but he's athletic and get to the quarterback first team, all big 12 uh, last year. And, and so this is when I've seen Minnesota linked to him a lot. I've seen Tennessee linked to him quite a bit. Um, but again, another one of these defensive tackles, but it, it, based on the consensus of things I'm seeing numbers one and two are in a different stratosphere than numbers three, four, five, six, and so on, so on in this class when it comes to the interior defensive line. Basically, Zagur and I had the same numbers, one through four, just not number five. Gribble, at number three, the one name that no one else had. Please elaborate. Yeah, I've got Marlon Davidson because he won me over at the Combine with his podium session, which was just incredible, uh, first off. But I think, secondly, he's someone that's not getting enough credit because he played next to Derek Brown at Auburn. And I think that he's getting maybe overlooked and he wasn't able to produce on the same level because of that. Uh, here's a stat I liked about him. Uh, he blocked three kicks in a single season, which I, I very much enjoy out of my defensive tackles. But this guy would produce all four years at Auburn. Uh, he's just a very solid defensive tackle. And I think there was a reason that they entered the season with one of the best defensive lines, if not the best defensive line in college football. He was a big reason for it. And I think that playing next to uh, a Derek Brown has maybe taken some of the shine off him. And he, I think he's just a very good player. Yeah, I agree, and I think uh, we're all in. We're all in agreement. Number one is Derek Brown out of Auburn. Number two, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. And can you make an argument, Gribble? I'll start with you. Could you make an argument to take Kinlaw ahead of uh, Derek Brown at all? Because we're starting to see a couple mocks, and obviously we're we're now officially in silly season. But is there a case or a scenario you can see that happening? 
Uh, I don't. I don't see a scenario at number 10 where both are available. I just think that one is going to be gone by the time you pick it at number 10. And I have a hard time even making an argument that you take one of those guys over an offensive tackle. I just, I just can't do it at this point in the draft. I mean, maybe you, if both those guys are available at number 10, maybe you trade back because I'm sure another team might be more interested in that position. It would just – I would think that there would be a couple more moves coming if you draft a defensive tackle at number 10. So yeah, I would agree with that. And look, these two guys are both awesome. Derek Brown is a stud. Uh, you know, Lance Erline said this guy's got all pro potential, should be a dominant starter right away year one. And with Kinlaw, 6'5", 320, but incredibly athletic. And teams, you know, teams are looking for the next Chris Jones. That's what Bucky Brooks said. You know, we'll take a hard, long look at Kinlaw. But Brown is considered to be the most dominant of the two. Kinlaw, first-team All-American this last year, first-team All-SEC at South Carolina. These two guys, as I was saying, it's those two – and then everybody else is competing to be three, four, five. But those two are, I think, ironclad to be the first two defensive tackles off the board in this draft. And look, you'd love to see both of them go before the Browns. I mean, Carolina, come on down, go ahead, take one if you'd like. And maybe even Jacksonville, as they've had a lot of transition amongst along their defensive line with Calais Campbell leaving town. But, you know, the combinate the, the comps for these guys, Michael Brockers, who's been tremendous for in his career, there's just some there, these are good good football players and and at a safe position and what separates them and the reason you're going to see both of these guys potentially go in the top 15 is they're not two down run stopping defensive tackles these are guys that can be disruptive that can get to the quarterback that can create pressure and that's how the shortest way to collapse the pocket now especially in a lot of this quick passing game that we're seeing is right up the middle that's why Aaron Donald is so valuable and that's why Chris Jones was so dominant remember you go back to the Super Bowl when I think one of the pivotal plays in the Super Bowl wasn't a sack but Chris Jones got pushed got his hand up and knocked down a pass it would have been an easy completion on that drive for the Niners it probably would have had that become a first down ice the game for them and so that these those are the kind of playmakers you're looking for a lot in the NFL this isn't in fact it's rare to say but it certainly seems Gribbs that you're going to see a defensive tackle come off the board before an edge rusher in this draft which is not something that happens very often well what about Chase Young Oh, Chase Young, that's right. Uh, after Chase Young, you're right. After yeah, Chase yeah, Young. No, there's saying, a big the gap, yeah. Group, there's a huge That's gap. why it's Chase Young and everyone else, but it's yep. just, I mean, there's – that's why we were we were talking with our mocks for the Browns. We you got to find an edge rusher in the second round because there, yep. there's there, – I think there's going to be maybe a 25-pick gap between edge rushers in this draft, and uh, th- that's why it's, it's just a weird year. It's an off year. I feel like we were just a year removed from there being a lot of them. Uh, it just goes in waves. It's just weird how this happens, but – Everyone's always trying to look for the next Aaron Donald or the next Miles Garrett, and it, it, it looks like this year everyone's looking for the next Joe Thomas. Well said. Look at that. <laughs> Bring it back to the king of the sous vide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Those are our top five at running back, top five at defensive tackle. Before we get out of here on a Tuesday, glad you're with us. The final day of March of 2020. We hope you are staying home, staying safe, adhering to the policies, staying six feet away from people, all that. Social distancing, trying to hit some golf balls in your backyard maybe, maybe playing golf by yourself in a golf cart. I I don't really know. I got to say, today is the first day I have not even gone outside. This is the true – I have sheltered in place today. A full sheltering. Nice. I have not even breathed, br- taken a breath outside of my house. Well, it sucks outside, so you're fine. Yeah. You have not missed anything today. 
Yeah, it's pretty brutal. All right, I, I have two mocks that I wanted to get to you both and get your thoughts on. Uh, and the first one is from friend of the pod, Ryan Wilson from CBS Sports, who's got a mock out today. Uh, and it's a three-round mock, and he's got the Browns wheeling and dealing. And he's got the Browns trading up to pick number 32, giving up number 41 and pick number 97 to move up from 41 to 32. So his two picks, speaking of defensive tackles, he has us taking Javon Kinlaw at number 10, and he has us taking Ezra Cleveland at tackle at pick number 32. Gribbs, at first thought, at first sight of this, your first thoughts. Well, the, the part you didn't explain is that the reason why the Browns drafted Javon Kinlaw at number 10 is that he has the worst nightmare unfolding, and that's four yes. offensive tackles coming off the board before the Browns pick uh, at number 10. And so let's hope that's not the case. Uh, I would, uh, that would be, if you're looking for one of those top offensive tackles and not having a shot at them, uh, I, would, I, I would not be thrilled about that. But I do wonder if in that unfortunate situation that happened, would you then risk it to then use that pick on someone other than an offensive tackle or trading back to get the guy that you really want? And that's where I, I wonder. I mean, we've talked about Ezra Cleveland maybe being someone that's a sleeper there, but I, I would wonder if you would risk it getting to that point in the draft and, and waiting to go get him. Let me just refresh my mind because I, I believe in this draft when he has the Browns taking Javon Kinlaw, isn't it true? Easy. I know. I don't like it either. Isn't it true that Akuda's on the board? Shocking development. Yes. So the in top. that case, we're taking Akuda. I don't think there's. A, I don't even think there's a question about it. I know we have Denzel, and I know we have Greedy, but Ben Derek Brown, nickel is a base. That's a base defense in the NFL. You're going to have three guys on the field, and I think you would take. And I think Akuda's considered to be one of the best corner prospects in a long time. So I don't think it's it's either a no-brainer to me that at 10 you would take Akuda or you would go ahead and, and put Akuda basically on the trade block and see what you could get to move down. Yes. I mean, coming back up to get Ezra Cleveland, that makes a ton of sense because you missed out on, you know, the top guys. Although I consider Josh Jones, and a lot of people think Josh Jones is a great fit for the Browns out of Houston. You can maneuver around in this first round, but I really think if 10's on the board, you're either taking Akuda or holding an auction for Akuda and getting an offer that, that you feel you can't refuse. Yeah, it really is the worst-case scenario. I mean, but yet it could be a great thing. If, if Akuda was on the board at number 10, I would think you would run to the podium. Uh, he's got Wills going to the Giants. Pick number seven is the wild card. Tampa Bay moves up and flips with Carolina. I can't imagine Carolina and Tampa, Carolina doing Tampa any favors since they're in the same division. We should probably look at that too. Uh, they've got it, and he's got them taking Werfs. Andrew Thomas gone at number eight, and number nine, Becton goes off the board. So four offensive tackles gone. I just can't see us taking a defensive tackle, e even if for some reason Becton, if, if they were all gone, I, I don't know what do, well, but even like, I don't know, say Akuda's gone too. I, the, but then I think you're shopping the pick for a quarterback because the only other people off the board at that point aren't the quarterbacks. If, if, okay, I think we need, we can, I think three quarterbacks are going to go. So four offensive tackles go, that's seven. 
That means out of Chase Young, Akuda, Isaiah Simmons, and Derek Brown, there can only be a couple of those guys gone, right? And if somebody jumps up, a lot of people think somebody's going to take a receiver in the top 10. I think everybody's sleeping. I know this receiver class is good, but if you pick it in the top 10 and you want a receiver, a playmaker for your young quarterback, you're not going to – yes, you can get a good one in the second round, but wouldn't you want to take the best receiver in the great receiver class? Sure. So I think that it's – if four tackles go, it's going to set up pretty well for the Browns and the fact that somebody very, very good on the board is going to come to them. But I don't think – I really don't think this is going to happen. I don't envision this happening at all. No, I, I would I would certainly hope not. I hope you get one of the, the big four tackles that are on the board indeed. Now, could you see the Browns moving up to 31 or 32, maybe even number 30, trying to move into their late first round, giving up a couple assets later in the draft? Gribbs? Maybe, but you're not carrying the same clout that you, you, you have in these past couple of drafts. You only, you only got seven picks in this draft. We're not talking about the, the double-digit era of the last few years. So it, would, it usually takes a decent amount to, to move into that spot. So I would, I would say no, and I certainly hope you're not having to do that to get your future starting left tackle. Zagura? Agree. I mean, I think there's some appeal to it, right? You get the fifth year option and teams at the end of the first round are often uh, more amenable to moving out. You know, we got a third round pick uh, that compensatory pick from the Texans and the Duke Johnson trade. Could, could that 41 and that pick be enough to get up there to get somebody you really, really wanted? Maybe. Um, so I, you don't want to see it because we, I think we do need to add some quality players because you look at this roster right now, and, and, you know, there are a lot of people on one-year deals. So you're going to need to have some, you know, succession planning going on all over your roster. And the best way to do that is to identify guys in the draft. And this is a draft where, you know, the first, second, and third round are going to be really loaded with talent. So to get four guys in those rounds would be much more ideal than, than not. All right. Chad Reuter on NFL.com with a, with a mock out. It's a four-rounder. He's got us taking Andrew Thomas at number 10. With Isaiah Simmons still on the board at that point and going number 11, that's a decision that I don't uh, – I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. Andrew Thomas at number 10, he's got us taking a guard at 41, a linebacker at 74, a safety at 97, and a defensive tackle at 115. Going back to what we've been talking about, you probably have to go get a defensive end in that second round and not a guard, Gribbs. Yeah, the guard is the one that I, I scratch my head at. And I, I agree that the, the situation he has unfolding where the Browns have to make a choice between Andrew Thomas and Isaiah Simmons, oof, I don't want to make that decision. Like, no. that, that's, a, that's a tough one. But if, if, if Thomas is the guy you identify as the best fit for this offense, I think you've got to make that pick over Simmons. The, the reason why we get to this situation, though, is because he has Henry Ruggs III going eighth to the Denver Broncos who traded up with the Arizona Cardinals in this spot. Which is, is interesting because you think the Cardinals would want to secure something there, but they're probably getting a nice little return on their investment. Now, in this draft, though, if you would tell me, okay, you just, we don't get the trade out of our picks, according to this particular draft, we could take a Simmons at 10 and still get Ezra Cleveland at 41. Sign me up for that. I'll, I'll take that all day long. Sign me up right now. I think Isaiah Simmons is just that dominant of a player. I think he fills a huge need for us. I think he would come in and play linebacker in this defense alongside Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, and I think that's a massive need, and he's a guy that you could play 
all over the place and you're getting really, I think a top five talent in this draft, if not maybe, you know, top two non-quarterback talent in this draft. So if he's there, I would have to think long and hard about it and just know that I could make a move for offensive tackle, but it eliminates the opportunity to get one of those defensive ends in the second round. And in this particular draft, you have guys like AJ Epinesa would still be on the board, Bradley Anai out of Utah. So there are still good players. My guy, your Matos is already gone. Your guy that you had going to the Browns and your most recent mock, uh, Terrell Lewis goes the pick before pick 40. But if Isaiah Simmons is there, I think you, you've got, you've got to pull the trigger on him and there, there will still be some good tackles available to you. And in this case, you would have ended up with Ezra Cleveland, which who I know people are pretty high on as well. I can't imagine uh, some Browns fans would be happy about taking the LSU guard over the LSU cornerback, Christian Fulton and LSU safety Grant Delpit, who would no be way. still available at that spot. I think the Browns, I think the Browns are happier with Teller Forbes at that right guard position than the outside world believes the Browns are. And I think when you got Bill Callahan here, you're going to have basically four no, well, three known studs. One guy that if, if you draft a tackle at 10, let's say, or early in the second round, let's not forget Mitchell Schwartz was a second round pick. There are plenty of tackles that are second round picks that have wonderful careers in the NFL, but you, you would have four guys that have real pedigree. And then you've got Forbes and Teller who, you know, with Bill Callahan, that's why you brought him in here to get the most out of him. I, I think you feel pretty good about that. I think that is real estate that is not going to be used on a guard. 41, I, I just don't see that happening. All right. Just a couple of silly mocks. Silly season officially here on this last day of March. And we are about 24 days away from the 2020 NFL draft. Before I let you both go, from former front office exec Michael Lombardi throughout the NFL. We kind of know him a little bit. Would you rather have Jared Goff at $35 million for five more years, Cam Newton on a one-year deal, or Jameis Winston on a look-and-see deal? Zagura, I want you to go first because I'm hoping Gribble just nukes you in half. That's a, it's an easy answer for me right now because you're talking about the finances associated, associated with it as a part of it. And, and if I'm with my franchise, to me the answers are either Goff or Jameis Winston. I think Cam Newton, you'd have to have a Super Bowl-ready roster. Like, if I was the Bears, I would say Cam Newton. But I'm going to take it and use – I'm not going to say I'm not the Bears. I think Jameis is crazy talented. I knew he'd throw a lot of picks. Uh, we had somebody on Browns Daily yesterday who was talking about uh, – Luke Easterling talking about Jameis and the respect he had in that locker room. And, that you know, there are guys – There's you cannot tell me, and this maybe helps Gribbs in his taco bet that, that I'm going to be feasting on when the Bucks go to the playoffs, but – Mike, there's no doubt in my mind, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, when they found out the news are sitting in a room and they're like, are we going to have 17 yards of catch and be catching bombs like we were from Jameis? Jameis over 5,000 yards last year. 5,000 yards. He's a talented player. I think he's more talented than Jared Goff. So to me, that's the decision. I'll roll the dice on Jameis Winston. Gribble. I'm not rolling the dice on Jameis Winston. I, I, I'm in a weird spot where I'm probably rolling with Cam uh, on this one-year deal because I think people forget how – insanely talented he is and I, I I'm going to put faith in the fact that he is recovered I also think he brings more value to your locker room and your franchise in turn if you're the LA Chargers Cam Newton means a lot more to you and what you're trying to do uh as a business than than some of these are quarterbacks and I think the, the argument for Jameis is one that I just it blows my mind that people can defend the interceptions this is a fantasy football argument for Jameis Winston he made everyone happy from fantasy football and it skews their perception on what he he does i mean 
think of the season we went the the Browns went through with Deshaun Kaiser and the amount of interceptions he threw and how many terrible positions that put your team in and how hard it is to win games when that happens. Jameis threw more interceptions than that. And that I think that it made their defense look way worse on the paper than it should have been. They were put in impossible situations. I just think, and I, I, I'm going from a coach perspective, I just think a coach cannot wrap their head around a guy throwing that many interceptions. I, I just think they can't competently put them out there. Just for just a little bit for the sake of for his career, he still has a three to two touchdown to interception ratio. So last year was obviously all time bad 30 in the prior two seasons combined. He threw 25 total. So I think that was a little bit of an anomaly. His ability to throw the ball down the yard, eight yards per attempt, all of that high completion percentage. That's not an anomaly. And there's a reason this guy coming out was certainly more highly regarded than Goff. Cam he had interception no. problems at Florida State, too. He did. He had no, he has turnover problem. There's no question about that. There's no doubt. Cam Newton, I think you'd have to have a specific system and, and operation that was built for what his strengths are, because you're not going to be able to run. If you're trying to run a drop back passing game or a, a pinpoint accuracy, a precision passing game, you're not gonna be able to run that with Cam Newton. Now you should be able to build your offense to him because he's insanely talented, but that's why to, for me, if I'm the bears, that's why I don't understand this. I don't understand what some, some teams are doing. If I'm the bears or I'm the chargers, I want Cam Newton because I think I can win a Super Bowl. And I'll, I'll say this. I don't I, get it. I, I threw Jameis under the bus there. In this hypothetical, I'm ranking him number two. I'm not taking on that Goff contract unless I'm getting Sean McVay. No. I'm going to say this. I've said it before. I'm going to say it again, and I have no problem saying it. If I'm the Miami Dolphins this year, this year, okay, I'm signing Jameis, and I'm going to get – Isaiah Simmons or Akuda at five, a superstar. I'm going to get a stud wide receiver in this draft for him to go along with Devontae Parker, and I'm going to get a stud offensive lineman. So I'm going to get the, one of the top defensive players in this draft, a very good offensive tackle, and a stud wide receiver because that's where this draft is, has depth for me. And throw Jameis out there, and let's see what we can do. And I have a feeling he goes back to Florida. Maybe he resurrects his career, but you can't, I think he's every bit as same level of a gamble right now as Tua when I don't know exactly how healthy Tua is, nor do I know if Tua can withstand the rigors of the NFL. And if he's good, here we go. The guy's 26 years old, and I think he's being written off. It's mind-boggling to me with some of the people that they're rolling out there. And if he's not, then we can go ahead and get him out of there, sit him down, and let's go ahead, and here comes Trevor Lawrence down the pike. Let's go. You'll win a fantasy title, and you'll go 6-10. and 10. Woo! I think with that team, with the way Flores coaches and with that defense, I don't think you will. Go, I don't think you have to go six and ten. If he goes out there and throws thirty touchdowns and fifteen interceptions, you're going to do a heck of a lot better than six and ten. And with that team, with Parker, let's add. We're going to add CD Lamb to that mix, and then we're going to add. Uh, you've got Jacecki, the tight end. You bring in another good tackle. You've got a pretty good makings of defense because you got Simmons or Akuda running around now on your defense side of the ball. That division's right for the taking. I feel like you can go in there and say, oh, Jared Stidham, how you doing? Josh Allen, how you doing? Sam Darnold, how you doing? We can compete with that. We can win this division if we're the Miami Dolphins now. I've said a lot of negative things about Jameis. I do think he should be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Him and Cam should be starting games this year. A hundred percent. Yeah. No doubt. All right. I've done my, done my due diligence. I've thrown a little gas on a little fire. I have a question, though. What is the name of the pig in this painting? Now, I didn't even realize. I saw the cow earlier, and now I see it's a half of a pig face. Have you named these animals? What's the deal? Absolutely not. I, that's my wife's job. That is not mine. She is the interior decorator. It's a nice motif. It is a nice motif. It, it is. looks great. It frames your head perfectly. They're both kind of like looking at you. It's wonderful. I'm not going to lie when I said my wife literally sat here and built this set. And she's like, next week, we're going to build another one. 
She was like, make sure you got one of these. Oh, yeah. But I got one of those. Absolutely. Uh, all right. That's, that's going to wrap up this week's edition of the BPA for a Tuesday. We're back with you on Thursday, Gribbs and I are, uh, as we get closer to the 2020 NFL Draft. Special thanks to Nathan Zagura for his time. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel. Thanks to Paul Taylor. Thanks to you for watching. Thanks to you for listening. For Andrew Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. This has been the best podcast available.